0: Today on Golden Girls Sports, the girls pair up with teammates good and bad in a variety of activities.
1: Marcus
2: Allen Mike Tyson Extra Innings The Tight End Decoys So it looks like we're running a draw play Magic Johnson Bobby Old Tampa Bay Bucks And they're off the pig takes the lead The chicken
0: Over the course of seven seasons The Golden Girls had a lot of relationships with men Which was the entire point of the show Here were four single ladies Past the traditional sitcom stages of either young ingenue Or domestic motherhood who were looking for real love in a way anyone, regardless of age, would want to. Yes, even Blanche. Episode 12 of this podcast was dedicated entirely to Blanche Devereux's adventures in cheerleading. But even without cheering, she repeatedly talked about spending her fair share of time around athletes, whether they were football players, baseball players, coaches, trainers, or God knows what else. To her, athletes represent not just hard bodies, but status, like trophies take this line from rose the prude the show's third episode which premiered on september 28th 1985. after coming home from a disappointing double date in which rose of all people had the more exciting escort blanche is feeling down but a little reminder from dorothy makes her feel better maybe a little too much
1: good night come on now be happy for her she finally met someone i mean you go out with lots of interesting guys name one how about that coach from the miami dolphins
2: oh yeah that night was kind of fun the training room the whirlpool the adhesive tape (laughs) name another one
1: honey take a cold shower
0: rose the prude is a pretty important episode in golden girls history It was the first to carry the credits of director Jim Drake and writers Mort Nathan and Barry Finero. The former would direct eight of the show's first 14 episodes, and the latter two would write 25 episodes and serve as producers on the show throughout almost its entire run. It's also the first episode to include a scene in which the girls ate cheesecake. According to later director Terry Hughes, the scene was written by Susan Harris while she was on a flight to New York and was phoned back to writers in California in time for rehearsal. It quickly became the show's calling card, and the focal point of many of the Golden Girls' funniest and most heartfelt moments. Finally, Rose the Prude is the first time guest star Harold Gould appeared on the show, although here he played Rose's one-and-done boyfriend, Arnie. He would later return as Rose's steady Miles Weber, but we'll have a whole feature episode on Gould in Season 4, so we'll just move on for now. He isn't as well-remembered as Miles, or Dorothy's ex-husband, and on-again, off-again, oh-please-be-off-again lover-Stans-Bornack, But Blanche also had kind of a regular boyfriend in the form of Mel Bushman. His name first popped up in season five's Cheaters, when Blanche is, once again, regaling the girls with tales of her sexual adventures. He was mentioned again in the next season's Snap Out of It, and a few episodes later in Mrs. George Devereaux. But it was in Melodrama, the 19th episode of season six, when Mel Bushman, the zipper king of Miami, finally became a flesh and blood person who shared... An exercise routine with Blanche. Which we learn when Blanche has the girls help her sneak into Mel's house to find out where he's been.
2: So far, nothing seems out of place. (laughs) Look at this exercise. It's never been
1: used. Oh yeah, we've been on it. Don't ask (laughs) me.
0: Melodrama is about Blanche and Mel trying, and failing, to be monogamous with each other. Turns out they work better when he's her standby boyfriend and just a phone call away for a night out or a night in. No matter what, Bushman awaits. The idea to base a whole storyline on Mel and Blanche came from writer Robert Spina, who had been the show's script supervisor before joining the staff full-time. Remembering some loose ends from previous scripts, Spina thought about what he could use again. Quote, for this episode, I remembered the name of Blanche's long-standing date, Mel Bushman. He was seemingly always there for her, but what would happen if he didn't show? End quote. To personify Mel, the producers went with comedian, actor, writer, and producer Alan King, one of the quintessential voices of New York comedy. Born in Brooklyn and raised in the Lower East Side, King was working nightclubs and performing on the Borscht Bell comedy circuit as a teenager, and even apprenticed under Milton Berle. As a Jewish kid growing up in a pair of tough neighborhoods, King used his humor as a weapon to survive. In the late 40s, King and his wife Jeanette moved from New York City to the suburbs of Queens. After years of basic one-liners, King had found a new inspiration for his act, suburbia and all of the ridiculousness that goes along with the lifestyle. He called the Long Island Expressway, quote, the world's longest parking lot, and joked about city dwellers trekking out to Long Island, quote, and covered wagons with mink stoles hanging out the back. The new style made King a fresh voice in American comedy, and he became a frequent guest on The Tonight Show and The Ed Sullivan Show. He also opened for big musical acts, played some of the biggest clubs and theaters in New York, became a member and frequent roaster at New York's famous Friars Club, and memorably met Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip. In the late 50s, King branched down into acting, but never strayed too far from his already famous New York Jewish comic persona. He once jokingly complained, quote, I was always the sergeant from Brooklyn named Kowalski. But he did have quite a few big roles. He starred in Guys and Dolls and The Impossible Years on Broadway, cameoed on TV shows 30-something, Blossom, Law and & Order, and Murphy Brown, and appeared in movies Bye Bye Braverman, the Casino, The Bonfire of the Vanities, and Rush Hour 2. Yep, Rush Hour 2, the super underrated movie. King was also a prolific producer of Broadway shows and movies, and a philanthropist, raising funds for Long Island's Nassau Center for Emotionally Disturbed Children and establishing a diagnostic medical center in Jerusalem that bears his name. Rue McClanahan called the casting of King as Mel Bushman, quote, a stroke of genius. Alan King died of liver cancer in 2004. His voice can still be heard in New York comics to this day, and his one-liners about the silliness of suburban life ring as true today as they did when he first cracked them 50 years ago. He'd probably find that hilarious. Mel Bushman was mentioned one last time in Season 6 of The Golden Girls. When a newspaper runs a premature obituary for Blanche, he sends her roses. And a note that says he's going back to his ex-wife. So it was really Bushman... away... Let's stay in season six with Wham Bam Thank You Mammy, written by Jamie Wooten and Mark Cherry, to get a glimpse into one of Blanche's former flings. When her old nanny returns after disappearing decades ago, she proves to Blanche that she always cared for her, even when Blanche didn't know she was watching.
2: Well, you don't love a little girl for 10 years and then just walk out of her life. I'll face it, you didn't care. Did you
1: or did you not wear your very first formal white with pink trim to the junior prom? And did you not come home wearing a football jersey?
2: (laughs) It was dark in that halo.
0: Mammy Watkins was played by Ruby Dee, the legendary actor, writer, and social activist, who along with her husband, Ossie Davis, was one of the most prominent black artists of the 20th century. Ruby's most famous role was probably that of Ruth Younger, the young wife in the projects stretched to her limits in Lorraine Hansberry's play A Raisin in the Sun. Yes, the same Raisin in the Sun referenced by Sophia in the Golden Girls episode Mixed Blessings. Ruby played the role over 500 times on Broadway, and in the 1961 movie version alongside Sidney Poitier. Her roles were many and varied. She was the first black woman to perform at the American Shakespeare Festival, and played the role of Rachel Robinson in The Jackie Robinson Story, which we talked about in episode two. That's the one where Jackie Robinson was played by Jackie Robinson. In addition to winning a Grammy, an Emmy, and a Drama Desk Award, and being nominated for eight other Emmys and an Oscar for American Gangster, Ruby Dee was also a vocal activist for Equal Rights. She and Davis not only marched on Washington on August 28, 1963 but spoke at the event alongside Martin Luther King, who delivered his I Have a Dream speech that same day. She picketed theaters and film crews that refused to hire black talent and was a member of at least half a dozen civil rights organizations like the NAACP and the Congress of Racial Equality. She and Davis also protested against the Vietnam War and the blacklisting of suspected communists in Hollywood by Senator Joseph McCarthy. Age did nothing to quell her passion for what she believed in. In 1999... At 74 years old, Ruby Dee was arrested in New York for protesting the police after the shooting of unarmed Guyanese immigrant Amadou Diallo. Ruby Dee died in 2014 at the age of 91. Hers is a one-of-a-kind performance and political legacy that won't be matched by anyone anytime soon. Ironically, Ruby Dee almost didn't even get the role of Mammy Watkins. The part was written for another socially conscious award-winning black actress as the role who played B. Arthur's housekeeper Florida Evans on Maude before headlining Good Times as the same character. Roll was set to appear on The Golden Girls and reconnect with Arthur for the first time in years, but a very bad car accident meant she couldn't do the film. Cherry and Wooten professed to not be that happy with the finished product, either because of the Maude-Florida reunion that never happened, or because Ruby wasn't as old as the character needed to be. Still, there's no surer sign that a show is a massive success than having Ruby D be your backup plan. In Season 5's An Illegitimate Concern, Blanche tells a story meant to boost the confidence of David, the young man who's been stalking her around town. Things go a little sideways, first with Blanche, then with David. I have been
1: following you around, and I'm sorry, but I have something to tell you, and... Uh... Well, this is just so difficult for me.
2: Oh, whenever I have something hard to say, I just say it fast. Like back in high school when I wanted to break up with Carl Dugan, the captain of the football team. Well, I was very nervous, so I just spit it right out. Carl, I'm dumping you for Coach Wilkins. (laughs) Afterwards, I felt much better. (laughs) You just go ahead and tell me. Go ahead.
1: Okay. George Devereux, your husband, was my father.
2: <laughs> Get out.
0: The role of David was played by actor Mark Moses, who has gone on to a prolific career in television on a number of popular shows like Star Trek Enterprise, Allie McBeal, and Keean Peel as well as recurring roles on The Last Chip, Man-Seeking Woman, and Mad Men, where he played Duck Phillips. Unsurprisingly, An Illegitimate Concern was co-written by Mark Cherry, who would later create Desperate Housewives and cast Moses as, quote, murdering SOB Paul Young. In season four's The One That Got Away, Blanche talks about a tryst she didn't have with another football star. A man named Ham Lushbaugh was about to re-enter Blanche's life, and she has a score to settle.
2: Well, Dorothy, you have no idea how my sister Virginia and I used to chase after this boy. Well, everybody did. He had it all. Football star, champion, debater, class valedictorian. How long did you and he date? well we didn't but it wasn't because i didn't try oh i can still remember the night of the big rally before the homecoming game oh there stood ham just handsome as ever i walked over to him and asked him the one question that had been burning on my tongue for the last four years ham think you might like a little company tonight you know what he said maybe some other time blanche can you believe that? Maybe some other time. Gosh, that doesn't seem so mean. He had the band spell it out on the field. <laughs> and Dorothy, to this day, Ham Lushbaugh remains the one man in my entire life I could not conquer. The one. But come Saturday night, I have a feeling my record's going to be intact again. <laughs> oh. <laughs>
0: Turns out, after all these years, Ham thought he had rejected Blanche, when in fact he had rejected Blanche's sister, Virginia. When they both finally figure it out, she kicks his tubby ass out the door so she can rub that 40 years of rejection in Virginia's face. This is a really classic episode, and Ham Lushbow is one of the girl's most unforgettable suitors. Actor John Harkins has had a long career in character parts on TV and in movies, playing a bunch of different roles on spooky soap opera Dark Shadows in the late 60s and early 70s, and working steadily until his death in 1999. He appeared in Sidney Pollack's Absence of Malice, Hal Ashby's Being There, and in multiple episodes of Dallas and Matlock, just to name a few. Back in the very first episode of this podcast, when the girls are deciding what to do about the boxer musician Sophia has purchased at a bus stop, I mentioned a sultry story Blanche told about holding a man's fate in her hands. This is that story.
2: The kid wants to fight, and we need him to fight. There's no problem here. Everybody back
1: to bed. Ma, stop that. Look, we have to consider this very carefully. We could be holding the man's fate in our hands. I once held a man's fate in my hands.
2: I'm shocked. It was back in high school. I was dating the quarterback of the football team. All the major colleges were trying to recruit him. I was pretty sure he was leaning toward Notre Dame because he asked me how to spell it. (laughs) But secretly, I was hoping for Alabama. Going to Notre Dame would put such a wrench in our relationship with all those priests skulking about the campus. (laughs) Anyway... One night he told me he'd finally made his decision that he was going to enroll at the little junior college just five miles outside of town. When I said, honey, why? They don't even have a football team. He answered by slipping a ring on my finger and proposing marriage. Well, I could not believe it. I just sat there for almost half an hour just staring at that ring. Finally, I said, honey this will not do i cannot accept this ring because you loved him so much you didn't want to stand in the way of his career no because it was a piece of cheap glass and the band was turning my finger of green
1: <laughs> well no matter what your reasons were you obviously made the right decision he probably went on to a very successful career in football
2: actually he was so crushed by my rejection that he gave up football
1: and turned gay <laughs> Blanche, you don't turn gay. You're either gay or you're not. Uh, You had nothing to do
2: with it. Dorothy, if he had been gay before, he would have had better taste in jewelry.
0: (laughs) Blanche's feelings about homosexuality aren't exactly a secret. Her brother Clayton visits the house in two episodes, and they revolve around Blanche accepting his being gay and him wanting to get married to his partner Doug. She also apparently doesn't know what a lesbian is, famously getting the word confused with Lebanese. So maybe that recollection of her former boyfriend coming out might not be 100% accurate or sympathetic. Blanche once used her appeal to the opposite sex and experience with athletes as part of a half-assed sting operation. In Season 6's How Do You Solve a Problem Like Sophia, written again by Cherry and Wooten, while Sophia joins a convent following the death of her friend, Blanche borrows Rose's car and gets into an accident with it. The guy she hit is suing Rose, but Blanche believes he's faking. So with Rose hiding in the closet, Blanche tries to lure Mr. Nivingston to her bedroom to catch him red-handed. Or red something else.
1: Thank you, Blanche. You know, I can't believe how nice you're being to me, even though I'm suing your friend.
2: Well, I've always been attracted to... Ever so slightly younger men. <laughs> Besides, just look at you. Oh, must be so frustrating for an athlete like you. Did you ever play any college ball?
1: No. As a boy, I got as far as the peewee leagues, but then I discovered stamps. Wow. You <laughs>
2: know, when I first saw you, I said to myself, philatelous. <laughs> I like <love> it. <that. laughs>
0: Mr. Nivingston was played by actor Paul Wilson, who's best known to me as Gary Shandling's neighbor Leonard on the early Fox series It's Gary Shandling's Show. Wilson also appeared on Laverne and Shirley, Cheers, Malcolm in the Middle, The Mentalist, and the film Office Space as one of the Bobs. He's the one who isn't John C. McGinley. Blanche used her sexuality as a weapon again in season 7's Mother Lode. Except her target wasn't exactly a man. She's dating a coworker of Roses at the TV station, a handsome news anchor that also happens to be a hapless mama's boy. Blanche and Jerry's mother were bound to come to blows eventually, and when they do, she doesn't hold back Blanche, I really shouldn't. Yes,
2: Jerry, you should.: No, he shouldn't. He's watching his refined sugar intake.: Yes, he should. This cake is sweetened with natural fruit juices) No, he shouldn't. His cross-country skiing machine is in the shop. Yes, he should. He gets plenty, and I mean plenty of exercise with me.
0: (laughs) Alas, Jerry runs back to his ex, with his mother trailing closely behind him. I wonder if he got that ski machine back. Playing newsman Jerry Kennedy in Mother Lode was Peter Graves, who will forever be IMF squad leader Jim Phelps from Mission Impossible. Born Peter Arness in Minneapolis in 1926, he took his maternal grandmother's last name after his first movie appearance in 1950's Rogue River. His brother James just shortened the family name to Arness and went on to be a big TV star as well, playing Marshal Matt Dillon for all 20 seasons of Gunsmoke. Peter did sports and music as a kid, and he also got into radio announcing. After spending two years in the Air Force, he attended the University of Minnesota and studied drama. Then it was off to Hollywood to appear in Westerns, sci-fi flicks, action movies, gangster movies, and at least two stone-cold classics, Billy Wilder's Stalag 17 and Charles Lawton's Night of the Hunter. In 1955, Graves starred in a Western TV series called Fury, kick-starting a long and fruitful television career. After a bunch of guest spots and a couple more series, Graves joined Mission Impossible in its second season, with his Jim Phelps replacing Stephen Hill's Dan Briggs as team commander and receiver of self-destructing instructional tapes. Graves' steely grimace, blonde hair, and deep staccato made every mission seem like the most important one ever taken. He won a Golden Globe for playing the role in 1971. Graves continued to do TV movies and guest spots throughout the 70s, always being very straight and very serious. But, just like Leslie Nielsen, who we spoke about in episode 16, along came Airplane in 1980 and changed the direction of Graves' career. Suddenly, that deadly serious demeanor could be used to comic effect, and it opened up more opportunities for him to be in comedies like Savannah Smiles, If It's Tuesday It Must Be Belgium, and Adam's Family Values, in addition to The Golden Girls. He even spoofed his own Mission Impossible image in one of the funniest scenes in Airplane 2, the sequel. Graves reprised his role of Jim Phelps on the Mission Impossible revival in 1988, but was disappointed to not be included in Tom Cruise's big-screen movie adaptation in 1996. In the early 90s, Graves embarked on yet another stage of his career, as the host of A&E's biography series. He did 50 episodes of the show, and in 1997, the show about the lives of famous people did an episode on Peter Graves. He passed away in March of 2010 of natural causes at his home in California. No matter what role he played or mission he accepted, Peter Graves was always cool, collected, and comforting for generations of viewers. Playing Jerry's mother in Mother Lode was actress Meg Wiley, who played moms, grandmothers, neighbor ladies, and aliens on a TV career that spanned over four decades. Wiley was born in 1917 in the Hawaii Territory. That's right, she was born in Hawaii before Hawaii was even a state. She was raised in the Philippines where her father and uncles worked on sugar plantations. In the 1940s, she moved to New York and scored a big role in the original production of Tennessee Williams' The Glass Menagerie. Wiley acted in Alfred Hitchcock's Marnie in 1964, but it was on TV, starting in the early 50s, where she worked continuously into the 1990s. She did single appearances on a million shows, most notably The Cage, the unaired pilot for Star Trek, in which she played the show's first ever villain, a Tolosian Keeper. Her scenes finally aired when parts of The Cage were used in the two-part Trek episode The Menagerie. She was a true character actor, recurring on multiple shows as different characters in separate episodes. What am I talking about? I'm talking about two episodes of The Untouchables as two different characters. Three episodes of General Hospital as three different characters. Four episodes of Perry Mason as three different characters. And five episodes of Wagon Train as four different characters. And then there were The Golden Girls, in which she appeared in four episodes, each as a different character. In *Mother Load*, she played Millicent Kennedy. In There Goes the Bride Part 2, she played Myra, the lady Rose thinks is stalking her. In Blanche's Little Girl, she plays one of the old ladies whom Sophia leads on a work strike at the chow wagon. And in Nothing to Fear But Fear Itself, she plays a veteran flight attendant who's not going to let Rose run her show. Take a
2: seat, lady. This isn't the Copacabana.
0: (laughs) Meg Wiley's last recurring role was as Aunt Lolly on Mad About You. She passed away on January 1st, 2002 at the age of 84 from heart failure. If her face or voice seems familiar to you, it should. Let's leave Blanche for a second and talk about another golden girl. Dorothy's experiences with dating athletes are a little less romantic. According to Sophia, one wasn't even a relationship at all. In Season 6's Mrs. George Devereaux, written by Richard Vaxey and Tracy Gamble, we learn about Dorothy's pathetic prom night. No, I wanted
1: to tell you sooner, but, well, I was afraid that you might not believe me.
2: And why should we, Miss Junior Prom 1946? Why, you promised. Dating the quarterback, she says, buys her own corsage, spends the evening hiding in the basement, slow dancing with a rake. Would have gotten away with it, too. But while she was giving herself hickeys with a vacuum cleaner, she stepped into a puddle.
1: To most
0: mothers, that would be a cry for affection. To you, it's just ammo. (laughs) But Dorothy did actually date a football player once, and she had a piece of advice she could give to Blanche based on her experience. In season six's The Bloom is Off the Rose, written by Philip Jason Lasker, Blanche is dating Rex, an abusive jerk who bosses her around and makes her feel inadequate. Believe it or not, Dorothy could relate.
2: Still on that Rex thing. Listen, for your information, he apologized and apologized about the things he was saying when we were leaving. Then he invited me marlin fishing. Just the two of us on the open seas. He says it's the ideal vacation.
1: Sure, no witnesses. (laughs) No, Blanche, I know you find Rex alluring, but honey, I know where you're headed. I mean, I was once in an abusive relationship.
2: Hey, Stan was a yutz, but when was he abusive?
1: Not Stan. I've had relationships with other men.
2: Oh, yeah, the evil pen pal. (laughs) So what did Kuduk Kim say in his letters that hurt my little girl?
1: No, it was in high school. Michael Tortelli, remember, captain of the football team? Oh, he was beautiful. Black, wavy hair, strong Roman nose, and he could read. (laughs) him he was always putting me down made me feel like I had no self-worth
2: Dorothy will you stop it this has nothing to do with me maybe Rex is right maybe I have gained a few pounds maybe I could try a little hard buying right into this what makes you such an expert on relationships this is male female stuff this is what I know if I need advice on jigsaw puzzles I'll come to you
0: Rex, the boyfriend who treats Blanche like dirt in this episode, was played by Mitchell Ryan, an intimidating ex-Navy man who started acting while serving in the Special Services, which was the entertainment office of the military. Ryan had a role on Dark Shadows in the 60s, and played tough guys in TV and movies throughout the 70s and 80s, often in action movies and westerns. He played head bad guy the General in the first Lethal Weapon, and later had a recurring role as Greg's crabby, alcohol-enjoying father Edward Montgomery on Dharma and Greg. Okay, you got me. This episode is pretty light on sports stuff, and mostly heavy on TV trivia. I try to arrange the episodes by theme, and this one just sort of worked out that way. But we'll have plenty more sports trivia coming up in Season 4, which will arrive this coming summer. Topics will include race car driving, High lie, Jimmy the Greek, Phil Rizzuto, dog racing, and a bunch of stuff I forgot to include in earlier episodes. In the meantime, I may also release some special episodes. So the best way to be ready is to subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. That way, once a show is posted, you'll have it queued up for download right away. Thank you very much for listening and continuing to follow along on this silly ride. I've saved some good stuff for the final season, and I hope you'll stick with it. Please leave Golden Girl Sports a review on iTunes and spread the word any way you can. And we'll be back again in a few weeks. Thanks again. Take care. Golden Girls Sports is written, produced, and narrated by Dan Saracini. The theme is Golden Sunrise, instrumental version, by Josh Woodward, and is available at freemusicarchive.org. Visit goldengirlssportspodcast.com for show notes and references, and follow us on Twitter at GoldenGirlsSP. Thanks for listening.